ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the 2022 New Orleans Pelicans preview edition of Hard to Paint with me, David Grubb. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, thank you. Um, I hope you like, I hope you subscribe, I hope you share the pod with your friends, and uh, let's talk some basketball. The NBA season begins today, but the Pelicans, of course, don't tip off until tomorrow night when they travel to Brooklyn, take on Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, and the rest of the free-thinking Brooklyn Nets, you know, Folks are excited about this team in a way that I haven't seen in uh, about a decade. I guess it's almost a decade now since I started covering this team. Um, and that's really cool. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, we've been right uh, since the Pelicans got here when they were the Hornets. You know, it's always been my firm belief that New Orleans is a basketball city. I believe that. I grew up at a time in this city when basketball was a huge part of the culture. You know, high school basketball, you produce some of the best players in the country. College basketball was strong. Tulane was winning. LSU was winning. UNO was winning. And people showed up. You know, when the NCAA tournament comes, it's always full. And it's not just without a tournament. There's people in the city that love basketball. So it's great to see an opportunity now. You know, after almost two decades with this team, it's great to see an opportunity for fans to be at a level that they can embrace this team and there's actually a structure um, within an organization and a group of players um, that really love embracing the city in return. So um, I love to talk basketball. And the thing that I always pride myself here on HITP is that I give it to you all straight when we talk about basketball. Uh, I'm never about diminishing anybody's optimism or hating or anything like that. Um, you know, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, I, I tell people all the time, I don't. I don't view myself as the voice of the fans. Um, I tell people it's basketball over everything. I view myself offering a service in my in my opinion to fans. And whether or not it's good or, or bad, that's up to other people's interpretation. But what I do is I look at the game, I look at the players, look at the stats, just like you do. Um, but I try to, to be as objective um, in my opinions as possible and um you know i have if again if this is the first time i don't want to lay down my resume but you know i have a history with the game of basketball um and i've coached a little bit and uh played a little bit and you know seen a little bit with this game and i've talked to it with some really good people and learned a lot about it over the years and i, I spend my time with this this is my this is my love and so i feel like i try to give you all the best i can um, and, and maybe help you enjoy the game uh, a little more, give you something maybe to watch for uh, during games, across the season, things to, to prepare for, things to, you know, examine so that you can come to your conclusions, you know. Um, but I always try to bring you facts um, and an informed opinion. When it is clearly an opinion, I hope that it's an informed one and that it's not just, you know, I don't do hot takes. But before we do get into the actual basketball, I do want to acknowledge all the folks who have listened to the show and helped make it what it is, and the guests who rock with me every year, um, who provide their own insights into the game, and there's too many of them to list. Um, and I, I also want to shout out all the new voices that are coming onto the scene, that have been coming on the last couple years. You know, um, there's a lot of people, 
of various ages, various backgrounds, various styles out here doing their thing. And I, I respect and appreciate everybody's hustle. You know, um, whether you're doing it for love or you're trying to get in the game for real, I respect that. And I appreciate anybody who's reached out to me to either ask me for advice or to be on your podcast or your show. I appreciate it. I respect that even more um, because it's, it's incredibly humbling when folks think that you have something to offer them on their path. Um, so let's talk some basketball now. Let's move past that. Uh, some news yesterday is the Pelicans announced that they didn't reach an agreement with uh, Jackson Hayes on a contract extension as he enters the final season of his rookie deal. The team and Hayes decided to wait until the end of the season to resume negotiations um, wherein uh, Jackson will become a restricted free agent. I'll, I'll get deeper into Jackson's role and his future a little bit down the road. But I think... Um, Let's talk basketball first before we get more into the, the machinations of the, of the team itself. We start the season with what I think is the most talented roster in the history of the franchise. Um, in every, in, you know, either in, in card, um, incarnation, whether they're talking about the Hornets or the Pelicans. Um, there have been, obviously, incredibly high-end talents on some of those other teams. You're talking about you've had a future Hall of Famer and Chris Paul. You've had all-stars in guys like David West and Jamal Mashburn and um, Baron Davis and, of course, um, leading all the way up to, you know, Anthony Davis and things like that. But top to bottom, this is the most talented roster. Um, one, to, one to now, you know, 17 with the two two-way players. The offseason was quiet on the bad news front, except for a couple of little minor injuries. Um, that's always good. And the Pills had the eighth pick in the draft to last season's eighth seed in the Western Conference playoffs. So expectations, yes, they are ridiculous. They are crazy high. You know, they, they are all over the place at the same time. And uh, earlier this offseason, I wrote a series for Pelican Scoop. And I hope you'll check them out at Pelican Scoop on Twitter and uh, check the website, Pelican Scoop. Um, we do some really uh, good work over there and we try to give you all the news with the Pelicans there. Um, if you haven't checked it out, please do. And in that uh, series, I outlined five components of a championship team. And, and in my analysis and in my opinion, I don't think that the NBA title is a realistic goal for the New Orleans Pelicans this season. It just isn't. People have said the Pelicans could be like you know the New Jersey Nets, maybe the team that made the finals back you know, 20 years ago when they added Jason Kidd, but I don't I don't see the comparison there. It's not a fair comparison. Because what you had at that time was a really bad Eastern Conference. And the Nets already had, what people forget, the Nets already had a lot of pieces in place. They already had Richard Jefferson. They already had Kenyon Martin, who was the number one pick. They already had Kerry Kittles. What had happened the year before, there were a ton of injuries because that was a team that two seasons before had made the playoffs. That was a veteran group of players ready to be led, and they added a Hall of Fame point guard and Jason Kidd to that group. So it wasn't like they came out of nowhere like some people want to remember. But even with that, the Eastern Conference at that time was bad. It was bad. It was easy to climb up to the top of the Eastern Conference at that time. And it was historically weak, you know, in the time that Mike, this is post-Michael Jordan. It's like, you know, 99 to 2005. During that time, you're talking about a Western Conference that, you know, it's 24 and 13 in the um, finals. Won six out of the seven, two sweeps, two gentlemen sweeps, and only one series loss. And that was with the Pistons beating the Lakers 
in what folks generally consider one of the biggest finals upsets of all time. This ain't that. You know, so the Western Conference itself is crazy deep. This reminds me far more of the 27-18 and 28-19 seasons. You know, uh, the first is when the Pelicans made that run to the playoffs in 2018. The difference between third place Portland, which the Pelicans sweep in the first round, of course, and 10th place in the Western Conference was a grand total of seven games. If you remember that, that year, playoff berths were not decided till the last day of the season. And that's one of the reasons that I've never been a fan of the play-in, because I think it should be one of those things that has to kick in, you know, because of proximity, if teams are that close, you know. But that's neither here nor there. That's a topic for another time. Um, but every one of those teams was over 500 as well. The next year, AD, you know, bows out early in the season, lets you know he's, he's out. That's the trade crest year. So it messed up things for the Pelicans. But the West was still, like, tight. The Warriors were the top seed that season. They only had 57 wins. And just nine games better than the eighth seed that year, the Spurs. So you had nine games separating, literally basically one game each for every spot in the Western Conference that year. So no matter how talented this team is, there are a lot of other talented teams out there who also think that they have a legitimate shot at a championship, who have been together a little bit longer, longer, who maybe have pieces that the Pelicans don't have or just elements that the Pelicans don't have, things that are not tangible per se. So right from the jump, my number one piece of advice or my recommendation then to fans is this. Do not worry as much about wins as you worry about seeding. Seeding is everything this season. The goal this season is to be in the playoffs comfortably. And by that, I mean to be in the top six. Avoid the play-in at all costs. The way the nature of the NBA is, is that it's a battle of attrition. You know, you start to see teams fall apart um, due to injury or just, you know, the the teams that realize they're out of it, they start doing what they do as far as um, the way they approach games each night. But I don't see a lot of opportunities for teams to take nights off or give away wins when you're trying to get that home court advantage because home court matters in the NBA. There's nobody who wants to play game seven on the road. Nobody wants to play game seven on the road. They might say, well, I loved winning a game seven. Sure, you did, but you don't want to play it. Every Pelicans fan would much rather prefer to, if you're in a series, to be that last game, if that's what's being decided by, to be in a Smoothie King Center than watching at home on TV, hoping that the team does well. So you have the defending champions. Yeah, they want home court. You know, they were the three seed last year. And that's about as low as you're going to get to see an NBA champion. They were the three seed in the West. So it's it's not a team that's going to finish, you know, four, five, six, seven. That that team's not winning the championship, not in the West. You know, when you've seen eight seeds make it to the NBA Finals, you know that when it you know when it happens, when something like that happens, that that's been you know the New York Knicks did it in the the lockout season. It's not something that's going to happen on the regular. So I think that you're going to see teams on a night-to-night basis are going to do what they have to do to secure home court and put themselves in position until they clinch it. And that could be very late in this season. And so you have to hope for a lot of good things. You have to hope for some really um, 
you know, I, I think, and you look at the top of the East as well, the East is pretty good. There just aren't places to give away wins. And I think that, uh, so getting into the playoffs and being secure, knowing you're there, is going to be the most important thing for this team. What are the chances of the Pelicans uh, making the top six? I think they're pretty good. Yeah, I think they're pretty good. Let's talk about why. Offensively, anybody who's watched this team, um, and this now this is going on, you know, this has just been the pattern. Scoring has not ever been really an issue, scoring the total number of points. But I think the thing that's going to be different about the Pelicans this year is how they score their points. They have so many ways in which they can do this. Belicans can run the basic pick and roll because in CJ McCollum, you have one of the best pick and roll point guard, uh, pick and roll lead guards in the NBA. Jose Alvarado is very adept at the pick and roll. Um, I think, you know, obviously you can run it with even Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson in that situation. Zion can run it occasionally. So you have all these guys who can be the primary ball handler and initiate that action. Um, this is a team that will rack up a lot of hockey assists. You know, there's going to be some nights where somebody gets double-digit assists, of course. But the team leader will be somewhere in the neighborhood of seven point something, you know. Um, and I think that's because, but you'll have a number of guys on this roster. Zion Williamson will be around seven assists. Brandon Ingram will be around seven assists. CJ will be around seven assists. You know, you see other guys. Jose could be around four, five, six, you know, assists each night. And then you talk about just, like I said, the hockey assists because the way the ball will move. This is the team that's not built to generate stagnancy, which is something that they've been searching for for a very long time. You know, you can go all the way back to when Alvin Gentry was still coaching his team. The one thing he said he's done with the, when the ball sticks, you know, the offense is no good. Antonio Daniels talks about it nearly every broadcast. This ball's got energy. When the ball is moving, players play better. When people get touches, they are active. They cut. They scream. And the Pelicans are suited to do that. They have a number of players with high basketball IQs on the offensive end who both understand what to do when the ball is in their hands and what to do when, what to do when they don't have the basketball. And I think that, you know, you talk about Willie Green's emphasis on that .5 mentality and they work on this in practice. You're going to see a lot of early offense with this team, you know, trying to get Zion his shot within the first five or six seconds of the shot clock, trying to get Brandon Ingram early shots near the basket, trying to get CJ open looks in transition, those types of things. And then this team is capable of running a secondary break. This team is capable of executing in a half-court set, and it has players who in their individual skill sets are able to score in one-on-one situations. That's not something you could say that the, about the New Orleans Pelicans, that they had that much diversity in the way they could approach you offensively. Now, the thing that people will talk about is say, well, do they have enough shooting? And I say yes. I say yes. Because let's look at your top seven scores that you expect for the Pelicans. C.J. McCollum is essentially a 40% shooter from three in his career he's going to take the the vast majority of three-point shots this season instead of the 500 that Devontae Graham who is still on the roster but won't be taking 500 threes this year CJ McCollum's going to be with your team for 82 games let's say if he played you know 82 games he'll be available hopefully 
So that's that's improving your three-point percentage. You got Trey Murphy, who was the leading three-point shooter amongst rookies last season. And if Trey gets qualified attempts, enough attempts to qualify, excuse me, he might end up being the leading three-point shooter in the NBA in a very uh, short amount of time. Herb Jones is a, an acceptable three-point shooter. But Herb's not, and Herb's not going to take bad threes. And you saw that aggression from the, the start of the uh, – preseason the first shot of the preseason is a Herb Jones three shot in rhythm with no hesitation that's growth in his game Brandon Ingram last year was a down year for him shooting three-point shot he was at around 35 percent he had been 40 percent the previous two seasons I think he gets back near that again and I think Brandon will take more threes and I think he will also take better threes. We saw in the playoffs him starting to shoot more from the corner, which was not a shot he took a lot. And it's which it was one of the worst areas uh, for the Pelicans in shooting threes. And it's the easiest three of them all to take. The Pelicans have been looking for corner three-point shooting for years. I hate to reminisce about the corner boys of uh, Solomon Hill and Dante Cunningham. You know, that's how bad it got. They called themselves the corner boys. You actually have guys who can make uh, corner threes now. You know, Brandon Ingram playing opposite Zion Williamson, playing off of Jonas Valanciunas, who also we saw last year improve his three-point shooting and his willingness to take the three. Yeah, it wasn't as consistent as you'd like down the stretch. But again, that's your center. I'm, you know, you're not a, what are you worried about there? Zion Williamson will be judicious in his three-point attempts, but the shot still looks good. He's willing to take it. You go into that bench, Larry Nance, as a front-court shooter, respectable above the break, respectable on the wing. So where's the? where do you start to see a downside? You know, Jose Alvarado can struggle at times with three, but again, I'm not asking Jose to shoot, be a volume three-point shooter. And I think that he's also shown that if he can shoot it in rhythm, he can be effective. So again, you're looking for open looks. The biggest part of three-point percentage is not just, um, you know, where you take the shot from. It's situation, you know, who's taking it? When are they taking it? What's the defense look like? It's not just the number on the paper. So if Jose is getting freer looks, if Trey is getting freer looks this season, if CJ, B.I., all these people are getting freer looks, not just because of the presence of Zion Williamson, but because they are performing better as a, as a group. Because again, this is an offense that has not played a single game together. You didn't even get a tremendous amount of games with the duo of Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum. But as they started to figure out, you saw how effective they could be. So the evolution of this offense is not just it's not just on Zion Williamson. It's on these other players as well who are all maturing and growing in their games. And then you add the ability, the passing ability of a guy like Dyson Daniels and his ability to, you know, to create shots for other people. And if your two point percentage goes up, your three point percentage goes up, too. And the Pelicans' two-point percentage will certainly go up this year with Zion being on the court and attacking the rim, causing defenses to collapse, Jonas being effective around the basket. 
uh, B.I. shooting more from that mid-post, which we saw last season, drawing the attention of teams, working that mid-range shot at a high percentage, C.J. McCollum being one of the better mid-range shooters in the league. You start doing that, and teams have to adjust for that, and they're not just protecting the paint. They're not just protecting the three-point area. When you can score at all three levels as an offense, yes, this is a, a league that values the dunk, the layup, and the three-point above all, and that's, of course, those are the highest percentage shots or the highest value shots, depending on which one you're talking about. But if you can score from all three levels, that makes you a more dangerous team, and the Pelicans are fully capable of being that. Defensively, this is more about upside here than what we know about this team uh, defensively at this point. I thought at times they played okay defensively during the preseason, but I don't want to judge it um, as a unit uh, because the individual players were better than the, the the group defensive performances. But those aren't lineups, you know. Again, those are preseason lineups. Those aren't lineups you're going to see together a lot. But you saw the individual skill again of a guy like Herb Jones, who yeah should be an All NBA defender for the next decade. You see how good Trey Murphy is. You see how good Jose Alvarado already is. You know how good Dyson Daniels is going to be. I mean, it just there the potential defensively, the potential is very high. Where do they start is the question. How committed is Zion Williamson defensively? How good is CJ McCollum going to be defensively? I think he is a willing defender. Again, that's when we talk about when we talk about the other four starters for the for the Pelicans, Jonas, B.I. Zion, and CJ. You're talking about willing defenders, but limited defenders up to this point in their careers, except for B.I., who I think can be now a better defender now that he's secured, I think, his position on this team and in the NBA. You know, he understands what he is as a basketball player. And he understands his value to this franchise. So that is a peace of mind for him that I think now he can, offensively, he needed to do that. Now I think he understands the way to get to be great in this league. Not just very good. The way to be great is to have to be a a great two-way player. And I think that's what he wants to do now. So let's see him take that step. But as of right now, your best defenders are your youngest players and your reserves. That is the, you know, so I like the Pelicans' defensive potential. I am high on their defensive potential, but I think it's going to take time for this group um, to to be a, an elite team defensively. And to win a championship, you've got to be a top five team defensively, essentially. I mean, that's, that's the numbers. Go check them. Uh, depth. Again, is one of the reasons this, you know, we talk about the war of attrition with the NBA season. And the Pelicans are now built to kind of withstand that. We saw that last year. The depth of this team is what got it out of that hole. You know, when you're playing bad, you were able to go to your bench. And when you're shorthanded Zion Wilson for the entire year, Willie Green was able to start playing around in that bench and find guys who wanted minutes. And when they got in the court, were willing to, to do something positive in those minutes. Well, those guys are all a year older. And you added in Tyson Daniels, and he gets to be your 11th man or 12th man 
based on experience, I guess, at this stage. So the Pelicans have plenty of depth at a number of positions, um, and they have the type of depth that is complementary rather than just numerical. By that, I mean you have a number of players who have skills that either match what they're the player that they'd be subbing in for or they um, work well with the player that they will be playing with or they provide something that wasn't on the court when the other person was on the floor and the Republicans have more of those than they've ever had youth is I think youth is a you know is a double-edged sword for this team and on the one hand it's really good because you want to have a lot of young fresh talent as um, over the course of a season people who uh, you know are able to withstand the back-to-backs, the travel, and their bodies are able to recover quickly, and that's what young athletes are more adept at doing. Young athletes also make more mistakes. Young athletes also need more time. Um, so you know, youth is a double-edged sword. But I think for the Pelicans, for the as far as a benefit, it's going to help them on those back-to-back nights. It's going to help them in those situations where. Again, you look at this team and they don't have a reason to fear because what? why should they? You know, the makeup of these young guys is such that they don't, they, they know what bad is. What was worse than their start if you just got with this team or if you're one of those vets with this group, if you are Brandon Ingram, man, it, there's nothing, there's no point in any adversity that can come at you now this season. Over the three years you've been in New Orleans, if you're brand new, that you ain't seen. You know, you've seen teammates miss an entire season. You've lost games yourself to injury. You've been, you've had struggles with coaches. You've had struggles with this. What has Brandon Ingram not seen? So at this stage, these guys, the young part of this roster, and this still is one of the younger teams in the league, but the young part of this roster is essentially fearless too. They don't know what they don't know. And, and again, that's a double-edged sword. But for this purpose, we'll view it as a, as a positive. It's part of that attitude that they have, that, that, that chip on the so- shoulder that they do have. That this team does play with some edge. This team plays with some edge. And again, these are things that identity-wise, it took, it took that adversity to develop. And to me, the seminal point for Brandon Ingram, which is where this, I think this all had to drive, drive from. There has to be a player that, that this stuff begins and ends with it in a team. You know, there's, there is a center, a centrifuge and, um, Brandon Ingram is that. And I think mentally when Brandon got there and he said, you know, he was going to bust everybody's ass in front of him. And it took him a minute to get to that place because of all the things that were going on around him with this franchise his own uncertainty about his future. But once he got to that point where he figured out that he could do that, that he could get to his spots on the floor and literally bust the ass of any opposing player in front of him, then yeah. Then yeah. It was, um, it's incredible to watch. So, other people start feeding off that type of energy, that desire to destroy your opponent. Some of these guys come in with it. You bring in a Herb Jones who came in with it. 
You bring in a Trey Murphy who came in with it. You bring in Jose Alvarado who came in with it. You bring in Najee Marshall who came in with a chip on his shoulder. These undrafted guys are these overlooked players. But were immensely talented who came in with something to prove. And the way that they chose to prove it was by being competitive on the court and playing basketball the correct way. So their attitude, they do have a chip on their shoulder, but their attitude is about winning. And that purpose, that communication, that clarity, that starts because there's finally alignment between the front office, the coaching staff, and the players. You've had one of the three at times. You've even had two of the three at times. But there's never been three of the three until now. I would say even last year, the alignment wasn't full yet. I think it took, you know, partially because of what was going on with Zion. It wasn't full. You had to have that the, this very important part of the, of the group come back in for it to be complete, for it to be in alignment. And as long as Zion was in a different orbit as everybody else, it wasn't quite there yet. Well, now you have that alignment. The front office has made some adjustments, and I think it's gotten better. And I've been as hard on the front office as anybody, but I'll say it's, I can't argue with what's going on right now. If we want to talk about mistakes, I can talk about in the past, but I'm not going to argue with what's going on right now. As far as what I see right now, yeah, you have a coach, you have a general manager, you have a president, you have an owner, you have players that are all on the same page. They have a program now. This is not a collection of players anymore. It is a program. There's clear and understood style of play. There's a clear and understood type of player. And there's a clear and understood mission for this team. There's no longer hope. There is expectation. And that is, is, you know, that's the responsibility of talent. To whom much is given, much is expected. And the Pelicans have been given a fuckload of a lot. Much is expected. But, are the, but what are those expectations? What are reasonable expectations? That's what we'll talk about in a minute. What are reasonable expectations, even if you expect a lot? But the other part of that is also another one of those elements is security. Look at the contract situations with this roster. People are secure. CJ's happy. Zion's happy. B.I.'s happy. Jonas is happy. Herb is on his... Herb's happy. Herb got paid good money, you know, much better than a second rounder was going to get paid. and So he's okay. He's under contract. Jose's happy. Who's not happy contractually? Everybody's happy. The only question you got is Jackson Hayes' contract. And I think, quite frankly, the Pelicans are right. They waited out Brandon Ingram. They ain't going to wait out Jackson Hayes? They ain't going to wait out Jackson Hayes? Come on. So, you know, the Pelicans made the right decision there. So, And Jackson should be playing for his contract. Jackson should be playing for his contract. He absolutely should be. He is the one player without security on this roster of some sort. And he absolutely should be playing like that. Now, I can't account for other variables like trades or injuries today. So those are the only elements I can go on. But, 
you know, the Pelicans have a very strong case when you compare it to other teams. But of course, again, there are very elite teams at the top. I want to get into your questions now because they hit on a number of topics and I don't want to talk in circles. So let's do that now. It always helps to focus by answering some questions. Uh, Kay Glapion, is there a player in the league that the Pels can realistically get who I think would significantly improve the team? To me, that player, if you're asking me, is uh, Jacob Pertle. The most glaring area of need for the Pelicans, the one thing that they have to have, I think, is some rim protection. They do not have that on the roster. The team's best shot blocker, uh, excuse me, shot blocker last season was Herb Jones. The guys who are best protecting the rim at this team are, are either guards or um, small forwards, or guys who are smaller power forwards like Larry Nance, Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels. Those are your best shot blockers. You know, Yaka plays in San Antonio. That team's going nowhere this season. Pelicans have more than enough contractual and draft assets that they could grab a 26-year-old center who averaged, what, um, almost 14 points, nine boards, and uh, nearly two blocks a game last season in roughly the same amount of minutes as Jonas. He doesn't shoot free throws well. He's basically a 50% free throw shooter, but he's not getting the line to the after, um, that often. That's not a problem to me. He's, he's, he's like a younger, more active Jonas Valanciunas. And I hate to name drop, but I remember uh, talking to Tim Duncan um, a couple years back on the night when I signed, you know, debut against the Spurs in the Smoothie King Center. And his job was teaching Pirtle. That was his job as an assistant, primarily, was instruct that kid. And all he would talk about was how much potential he had. So if there's one guy out there right now, you know, again, considering what other teams are willing at this stage because the season's about to start and nobody wants to give up anything, um, the target that I'd be looking for is is Yaka Pertle. Because I don't think the Pelicans need more stars. It's not what you have. You already got three stars. You have a big three. And you've literally got a potential big three on your bench. So you don't need more stars. What you need are guys who fill... Uh, roles at a high level, and he'd be he he would do that. I don't think there's a better target than him. He's a complimentary piece of the highest order. Um, at T9, the guy asks about the guard rotation and the potential of Zion getting run with the second unit. I really like this question because um, the guard rotation is something that's going to be uh, very important to watch. I don't think Devonte Graham. You know, a lot of people think well, they got to play Devontae Graham because of the money. I don't think, I don't think that that's the case. I think Willie will give them an opportunity because he's a veteran, but I don't think he logs heavy minutes because of that. And I don't even think necessarily he's going to be the first guard off the bench because matchups are going to dictate the substitution patterns, how the starters mesh, um, you know, foul situations. And they, you know, if, if what they need on the floor is ball handling and running the offense at that situation, I'm not putting in Devontae Graham first. Jose would be is still be my first guard off the bench. Now, the weird thing is the guard rotation is built up, made up of guards who are, are not necessarily guards. You know what I mean? Like, or they're all the same type of guard. Because Brandon Ingram is probably going to be listed as a shooting guard this year. Or Herb Jones, either one. And I don't think either of them would fit the traditional uh, description of a shooting guard. 
CJ is a lead guard, not a point guard. Jose is a point guard. Kyra is a what? We're not sure. That's his big question this season. So Kyra is the one who's got the hardest part in just getting some minutes. Dyson Daniels is a guard, um, and you, but he also will probably see minutes as a three as well because of his length. So you could play him in the backcourt and you could also play him in the frontcourt. It's a very interesting guard rotation, but I think the Pelicans, because they are skilled and they have a number of guys who can be primary ball handlers, including Zion and including uh, um, B.I. And even guys like Najee, Marshall off the bench, and, um, and Trey Murphy have shown at times some ability to initiate the offense. And then you have guys who can pass. They're all generally good passers. So I think that, you know, it's, it's an interesting guard group. Uh, my question in the guard group, the biggest one for me is for Kyra Lewis. And, and there are other folks who have inquired about, you know, Kyra and just um, including the last king of Scotlandville. Um, look, even if Kyra is cleared to play on Wednesday, I don't think he does play. Um, there's just, you know, they didn't play in the preseason. They haven't seen him um, and they don't need him yet. So they can afford to, to allow him to come along because they need wins. You know, experimenting early isn't going to get them wins. They have to find they'll They'll tweak some things in the rotations, but they got to get wins. And, you, and, and Kyra at this stage to me is just too much of a wild card. But to me, the goal with Kyra is... Everything that Jose Alvarado does now, Kyra should be better than that. And that's not an insult to Jose. What I'm saying to you is Kyra was drafted in the lottery. The first round draft pick in the lottery. And yes, he's coming off of injury. But what do we like about Jose? We like his speed. We like his on-ball defense, his aggression, his willingness to get into the paint and probe and create for others. But he has that physical limitation of being 5'10", and that's just a fact. Kyra's longer, more athletic, faster, stronger. So if Kyra could do all the things that Jose does, but better, then wouldn't that be the goal? Isn't that the realistic goal here? I think it is. Um, As far as Zion getting run with the second unit, I like that too. Because one of the things Willie Green's going to have to do to balance this offense out is give his guys time to shine. He's going to have to create it while they figure it out. Because they have to figure it out organically on their own as well. But over the course of a game, Willie's got to manage it so that the game doesn't get out of hand at any point while guys are figuring things out. you got to provide some barriers even while you're allowing the freedom to, to fail and succeed. So... While he puts those in place, I like Zion getting group um, opportunities with the second unit because there are guys there that you could to pair with him, who complement what he does. That you can allow him to either you know to be that the ball handler and run your point Zion sets, which I think are you can run more consistently with your second unit because those guys are built to play off of him. I think it's a natural fit. So, yeah, I like Zion with the second unit. Um, at Bijan LB wonders how the rest of the NBA views Jackson Hayes and what are realistic expectations for the Lakers pick swap. 
Now, let's, let's do the Lakers pick swap first. I think that the Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs. And I mean that means the Pelicans pick is a lottery pick. After that, everything's gravy. Because again, you're getting you're you're adding another lottery pick, and what you can do is start continue to start refining your roster, because ultimately you want to have a ten man roster and not a fifteen man roster. Because one of our, the other questions, and I'll answer this one now, is is there such thing as too much depth? And uh, yes, there is. There is. You say, how can that be? Well, when you look at the makeup of a roster, it's the, when you get to the playoffs, you typically only want to have a rotation that goes eight or nine deep, maybe ten. But it's typically eight or nine players who are, are going to um, be your main rotation once you get to the postseason. Those guys from nine to fifteen, from ten, I mean, from ten to fifteen, they they need to be a combination of certain things. Either veterans who immediately understand what they're supposed to do and can take a couple nights off um, with no concern, but when they come in, you know what they got. You know what I mean? You know what they'll give you. They are they are they keep your floor steady. They're not going to give you swings and ebbs and flows in performance. Or they're culture guys like a Udonis Haslam, or in this case, the law firm of Garrett and Temple. Um, but you know they're culture guys. They, they they reinforce the coach's message. They reinforce the work ethic. They're there to 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 be the the code breaker for the younger players. You know, explain to them how the league works, how being a professional works. Those are institutionally important people. So you want to have one of them around. Sometimes you keep there's a guy who's there just like you know just to watch somebody too. Sometimes you keep somebody just keep somebody cool. You know, agents make deals. You you get this guy, you get that guy. But and then you also have the young players that you're either intentionally developing or are cheap enough for you to get rid of after one year. But there's always a bunch of one year contracts, you know, short term deals at the end of the bench of guys that you can just move on from because your investment is in your best players. And when you look at the Pelicans, you already have. Zion Williamson, C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram making a lot of money. And in a short amount of time, Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels, Herb Jones are also going to be asking for a lot of money. The Pelicans are not going to pay $448 million like the Golden State Warriors. So you need more of those players on the end of the bench eventually. And this is why teams have such heavy turnover from year to year. It's because it's the back end of your bench. And so eventually a lot of these guys that you see on this Pelicans team that you really like today are going to be moved on. And hopefully it's strategically done so that it's the right people at the right time. You know, you love Josh Hart. With that era had to end, and now you've learned you're you're learning to love Larry Nance, and you're learning to love C.J. McCollum, just as much as you love Josh Hart. Doesn't mean you love Josh any less, but he's not a New Orleans Pelican anymore, and that's just the business, the nature of this business and this league. As far as the way the rest of the NBA view Jackson Hayes, I think it's the way the Pelicans view Jackson Hayes, as an incredibly talented, inconsistent, and immature player. He's immature skill-wise um, as far as his defensive skills. And I'm tired of the excuse that he hasn't been playing basketball this long because I'm sorry, if you can figure out 
how to shoot the three. You can figure out how to ball handle. You can figure out how to dunk between your legs and all these things. You can figure out how to box out. You can figure out how to set a pick. You can figure out how to attack the offensive glass. You can figure out, you know, how to block shots more frequently than you do when you are the most athletic player on the court. If I'm Jackson Hayes, I'm disappointed that I'm not the starting center of the New Orleans Pelicans. And everybody can say, well, he's supposed to be a four. He's better at a four. He's better as a four because that's what he chose. The same defense that you gave, that Anthony Davis is th- that y'all wouldn't take from him when everybody knew that his best position is at the five. We're doing this with, ja- with Jackson Hayes. We're doing this with Jackson Hayes. And the reason we're doing this is because we, we, we know we, whoever is not admitting it to yourself, which you're, you're hiding on, behind the fact is, is you know that Jackson is never going to be, uh, well, is not going to be in the near future. I don't want to say never. I can't speak on never. I take that back. But in the near future, he's not going to be a high-quality defender in the post. He's neither a rim protector nor a shot blocker. And if that's the case, he's not as valuable to this team as other people might be. It doesn't mean he's not skilled. Again, what I'm saying is he should be the starting center for the New Orleans Pelicans. Because if I'm Jackson Hayes and I'm inside his body, what I'm thinking is, what can I provide that no one else on this team can provide? Athleticism. Pelicans got athleticism, man. Three-point shooting. Pelicans got three-point shooting. Dunks. They got dunks. They don't got a rim protector. They don't have an elite rebounder. He could be that. He has the skills to be that. If he were that, we wouldn't even be talking about whether or not there's a question, there's an extension. But he's not that. And he's not going to be that next year. And he's not going to be that the year after that. Now, there may be another team out there, and there certainly will be. There are, there are a lot of teams that are willing to take a chance on him because of that incredible athleticism. But if he's not going to play defense, he's got the same problem that he has everywhere. And Jackson got played off the floor defensively against Phoenix. He was worthless. Whether it was JaVale McGee on the floor or DeAndre Ayton, he was worthless. So, I'm sorry. That, I think that's the way the NBA looks at him is that he's extremely talented. Maybe, maybe somebody say, I'm the one who can develop, but I don't see him getting a, a, a bank-breaking offer in the offseason. Big fellow 122 asked what lineups I would like to see. There are a couple I'd love to see on the floor outside of the starting lineup. Give me Jose, Dyson, Herb, Trey, and Nance all together for short bursts. I just want that group all together for a little verse and let them like call them the Havoc group or something. The Suicide Squad. Because I think offensively, they're all high IQ players that work together. It'd be really interesting in transition. Not heavy usage as a group. Very intriguing lineup. The other to me is Dyson, Herb, B.I., Trey, and Zion. Surrounding Zion with length defensively, shooting offensively. You've got playmaking as well. Man, that could be a real problem for folks. Again, that's like, again, not a long term, but you know, over the course of a game, you get to have some some fun. Man, I like both of those. Um, one of the questions: Najee's place and impact on the roster. Why is he important to this team? Like Najee is that perfect tenth or eleventh guy. 
Like you don't. There's never going to be a night where the Pelicans have to count on Najee Marshall. You know, if he has a great game, you're always glad Najee had a great game. If he has a poor game, Najee's poor game is not going to be the reason the Pelicans lose. But what Najee provides for you, again, is a dude who knows exactly what he's there to do. He's there to mess stuff up. He's there to play defense real hard. He's there to run the floor. He's there to get rebounds. He's there to finish at the rim with layups, with dunks. And he's able to create passes um, and create scoring opportunities for other people. He rebounds extremely well for his size. He defends. He's active. He's a good teammate. You know, and he doesn't cost a lot. He's an undrafted free agent. He doesn't cost a lot. So, yeah, if anybody's questioning Najee Marshall's role, man, turn away. Like, that's, that is not a concern. Najee is important to this team. And he's one of those guys who can steal a game for you on a night when your best guys aren't at their best, and he is at his. He is one of those players that can steal a game or two for you over the course of a season. And that's valuable to have at the end of your bench. Um, if you want me to make a hard prediction on the number of wins for the Pelicans this year, I would say 43 to 45 is the most likely to me. And I say that because if I calculate that number this way, I'm just going to I'm gonna put the Pelicans one game over 500 on the road, which gives them 21 and 20 on the road. So to get to 45 wins, that means they go 24 and 17 at home. You know, Pelicans haven't won more than 18 home games in the last four years. So, you know, getting to that 24, you know, I, I, I think is going to take some work. And getting them to t- over 500 on the road is, again, it's, it's going to take work. And this is a tough, tough league. So, and it would take reversing a lot of, of historical trends in order to make a kind of mega jump that folks expect. I just don't think the league there's going to be this high number of wins uh, in the West as a whole. Nobody's going to win 70 games in the West this year, I don't think. So I think it's going to be a lot of a closer league, like we talked about earlier. I think they, it could literally be that that essentially a nine-game separation between first and last, first and tenth in the Western Conference. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did win close to 50 games I wouldn't be surprised I'm not going to be like oh I'm shocked no I mean I wouldn't be surprised they have that ability um, it's just that I think that the start of the season um, will be difficult Now I think they get too off to a decent start and they have to because this is a franchise that's never had a winning season uh, when it finished the first 10 games of the year below 500 course they made the playoffs last year when they didn't start above 500 after the first 10 games but they didn't have a winning season they won 36 games so you look at the first 10 games of the season the thing that stands out is that six of them I mean seven of them excuse me are on the road seven out of ten are on the road that's good and bad like they say the road is a great place for teams to bond that's what they always tell you the more when you're on your road you're forced to bond because you ain't got nobody else but you there's no distractions you just play games there's a lot of games in a short amount of time to start the season 
But so if I'm looking at the schedule, I'll say this. My gut says Pels get off to a 3-0 start before their first loss. I think they can beat Brooklyn. I think Charlotte is in a mess right now. And I think Utah is maybe the worst team in the NBA this season. So I think they can get off to a 3-0 start before they face Luka Doncic, Pelican Killer in Dallas. I mean, here, I mean, at home. But it hasn't mattered where they played Luka. Until I see them figure out Luka, I'm going to just give the nod to Luka. Um, then I think they go on two and three on a West Coast swing. That includes Phoenix, the Clippers, and the Lakers. Uh, I think they win that game against the Lakers and split one, uh, the other two. Uh, I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, before coming back home, if the Warriors are the Warriors, uh, again, I think the Pelicans going to be a, that's a difficult game for them to win. The Warriors are a team that typically, if they're healthy, they get off to very good starts at the beginning of seasons. Um, that's, a, that's a tough game to come home and win. Uh, and then you go split with Atlanta and Indiana on the road. And I say that just because, in my mind, the Pels will be on their fifth road game in 11 days. And you're asking about a team that's got a lot of figuring out to do. Again, has never played a meaningful game together. A group that has not played a single meaningful game together. So it's going to take some time to gel. And that's, that's all I'm saying. But I think that, that you know, Willie Green talked about 10-game increments last season, and that philosophy should hold true this season. The last 20 games of the season will be where the tale is told. How much by then will they have improved defensively? Did they make trades? Are they healthy? We'll know by then when they should be making a stretch run for the playoffs who this basketball team really is. But I think a 6-4, and 7-3 and three start is reasonable for this team. I don't think that's an underachievement if that's what they get, considering those other factors. Before we finish, um, I'm going to hand out my Pelicans preseason awards. I think the most valuable player of the Pelicans will be Brandon Ingram. I think the most outstanding player will be Zion Williamson. Uh, Just statistically, I think Zion will will, will put up some insane nights um, and we'll see some insane plays. Um, The Zion Williamson Vengeance Tour, maybe. Uh, Most improved player and sixth man, Trey Murphy. I think everybody has watched Trey's game develop going back to those last 20 games or so of last season into the um, play-in tournament, into the playoffs, into summer league this year, and through the preseason. Uh, Trey has just looked so good. There's no denying that he's going to get significant minutes for this team from day one of this season. So I think he'll be the most improved player on this roster. And I think he's the sixth man ultimately for this team. And of course the defensive player for this team, all defensive players, Herb Jones, you saw again, he's still doing it and it looks so easy. He just makes it look so easy. Uh, I think the Pelicans can get two all-stars this season. That means that somebody has got to get voted in. Zion is the most likely of, of the Pelicans players to be voted into the all-star game. Um, And Brandon, could definitely earn the selection. Uh, it's just it's hard for him to get voted in as long as LeBron James is still in the West. I mean, it's just it's it's, it's going to be difficult. And as long as the Golden State Warriors are able to get Andrew Wiggins in, I mean, I'm sorry, it's it's a voting thing, and they've just got more votes. Um, but I think Bi certainly could earn the nod if the Pelicans are in the right place with their record. It's not gonna. It's no longer gonna. They're no longer getting in on the prettiness of their statistics. You know, the expectations now for the Pelicans that they have to be winners. And so the record is going to be a lot more valuable because there's so many talented people who are going to put up numbers this year in the NBA. So winning, I think, will be a much bigger part of this. 
And so it depends on where the Pelicans are. And I don't think Zion makes an all-NBA team, but I think Brandon does. Because defense will be the separating factor there. Uh, I think Brandon takes that step defensively because he's been around. I think it takes a little bit longer for Zion to get that back. The offense will come back first, and then the defense will develop. So I think that's what keeps him off an all-NBA team this year. Uh, But I certainly think that Brandon can make an all-NBA team this year. I believe that. And I think Willie finishes top five in the coach of the year voting. To me, a trip to the second round where this team is very competitive, maybe even pushing the series to seven games is the most likely scenario this season. And that would be a very satisfying and huge step for the franchise. The window uh, to me is, is not, this is not the year. I think next year, and again, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I, I think this is the year you make that step. This is the year you find yourself as a franchise completely because now you have that final element and you've got to bring him along. And, you know, and, and in that conversation I had with Howard Beck, also for Pelican Scoop, so check that out too, who wrote the cover story on Zion Williamson for Sports Illustrated. Um, you know, he said the onus is on Zion to find his way back in and and on the court that's going to take time where have we not seen it take time you know where have we not when you when you're adding a new player and remember Brandon Ingram is quite literally the only player to have played significant time on court with Zion Williamson on this roster so there's going to be a lot of adjustment but again, I think this is a top six team in the West at their best. And that should be that should be plenty. Uh, thank you all for listening. That's all I got to say on this. Um, again, you can wherever you are, are checking out Hard to Paint, please subscribe and uh, rate and comment and all those things. Share it with your friends and um, continue to support um, what I'm doing. Uh, I'll be with you all season and and giving my thoughts uh, as frequently as I can about where the Pelicans are and where they're going. And and it should be a great ride. You can follow me on social media at DM Grub on Instagram and Twitter. And, of course, the website, HITPwithDG.com. And don't forget to check out the store on Redbubble. Some really cool merchandise there. And I'll I'll have another uh, store up soon as well. Uh, Until the next time, this has been... Hard to paint. Um, let's have a great, great basketball season.